Well, good morning. I love that bumper. It's like straight out of 1992. <laughs> like I expect like Zach Morris to pop up on the screen or something. <laughs> well, good morning. It's great to see everyone. How is everybody? Good? All right. Pastor Sean already asked that, but I always like to too, just to see if you're still awake after uh, the last few minutes. So thanks for being here this morning. We're start kicking off a new series uh, called Awesome today, as, as the bumper said. Awesome. And I can think of so many things that I would consider to be awesome that, that happened in my life or, you know, things that just happened to me in my life that are awesome or things that are in my life that are awesome. And things that I uh, would define as awesome, it's kind of transitioned through the years, you know, I'm, I'm 32, almost 33, my birthday's in a couple weeks, I'll be 33, and things look differently now that are awesome than they did when I was, say, 16 or 17 years old. And I was thinking about what those things might have been back then. It might have been like a popular video game. Like I had an Xbox and I thought that was amazing. A popular movie. I was trying to Google like what movies came out in like 2003. But I was like, man, these are all lame. <laughs> so I didn't really have a good one for that. Or the car that I was driving. My dad was so concerned with me feeling awesome that my senior year in high school, he let me drive a Ford Taurus station wagon to school every day. Like... <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so uh, those are the awesome things. Those are the things that I thought were awesome when I was like 16, 17, 18 years old. And the older I get, the, the more my interests shift. You know, I'm, I'm, again, 33. I'm really old, 33. So, so what, what's important to me has kind of shifted. You know, the things that are awesome in my life, they more center around the people in my life, right? My, my wife, my kids, my friends, my church family, and even the people that I work with. Like, they're awesome people that, that God just put in my life, and, and I'm so blessed by them. And the more life experience that I get, the more I realize that, you know, an Xbox 360 or whatever is out now, I have no idea, it isn't, as, isn't all it's cracked up to be. You know, I, I love sports. I love the New York Yankees. Sorry if any of you that offends anybody, but I love the New York Yankees. But you know what? I would give up watching a game on TV to hang out with Karina and Derek and Tyler. You know, my priorities and things that I consider to be awesome have shifted. And I started thinking, like, why is that? Why has my interest, why has those awesome things shifted more towards people as, I, as I've gone through life? And the reason is it's because it's how God designed us, right? God designed us to crave connection with other people. We, we search for love. We're designed for this thing called intimacy, right? That's how he wired us. And yet for a lot of us, our relationships with God and with the people around us, they're not necessarily all that we want them to be. Right? We probably have conversations with God and with other people and with ourselves of we want more from our marriage. We dream for more from our families. We desire for more meaning relationships. There's people out there still like, I'm looking for love, and we, we wish we were closer to God. We have these conversations. And in a nutshell, at its core, what we're driving at is we want our relationships to be awesome. Right? That's full circle right there. We want our relationships to be awesome. And the thing that we don't necessarily think about is the fact that God wants that for us too. God wants our relationships to be awesome. So much so that when Jesus was asked by a Pharisee, what is the most important of all commandments? He said that all of God's teachings are based on loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. So Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, this is going to be our series verse, and it's one that's probably familiar to most of you. It says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is Jesus talking. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. 
What he's saying is everything in the Bible, right? God's entire story, his commands, everything that Jesus said is driven by love. Loving God, loving people. This command from Jesus is the starting point for an awesome relationship with God and with everybody around us. We're going we're gonna to take the next uh, five weeks talking about how to live out this command that Jesus gave us, how to be awesome in our most important relationships. And this morning, we're going to talk about having an awesome friendship with God, an awesome relationship with God as the basis for those awesome relationships. Because if we love God and we spend time with God and we invest in our relationship with God and allow him to invest in us, that love that we feel from him and the investment he makes in us and the lessons that we learn from him, that's going to begin to infect our other relationships and have a positive impact on those other relationships. And we're going to dig into that, but I, just what I'd love to do with you guys is, is kick things off with a question, because I love hearing your responses. And my question for you this morning is, if you could be friends with anyone, it can be real or made up, who would it be? Just shout them out. Who would you, who, if you could be friends with anyone, real or made up, who would it be? Lots of whispering, nobody's shouting. <laughs> Jesus, Amy, when in doubt, choose Jesus. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Anybody else? What? What? Zach, thank you. Zach Efron. He is dreamy. Anybody else? No, thank you. I don't know who said that, but thank you so much. Was that you, Bob? <laughs> I appreciate that. I asked my son this, and he, he, uh, he gave his, like, his best friend from, from, from kinder, his kindergarten class, uh, who along with like, Josh Kelly, like, they wreak havoc on Mrs. Beaver's kindergarten class together. So that was his response. And I was kind of thinking about this, and the more I thought about it, the more it occurred to me that the person that I would pick would depend on my circumstances, right? My needs or my wants, what I needed in that moment. So uh, you know, a couple, couple examples of this. Maybe I'm looking for a friend who might be able to help me out financially, right? So perhaps the answer to that question is this guy. I don't know. <laughs> found that the internet's a great thing. Uh, the answer to that question is someone with access to a lot of money, a lot of resources that can help me out financially. Maybe I'm looking for a friend who's powerful and can protect me and my family, right? I'm going to Batman 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Look at that guy. I wouldn't mess with him. And then lastly, perhaps I'm looking for a friend who can help me with like rhythm and singing and all things musical. Yep, Sean Andrews, every day of the week. <laughs> he didn't know I was going to do that. I'm sorry, Pastor Sean. <laughs> Pastor Sean's great, though. He's, he's a humble guy that he takes, it, he takes this, you know, my gentle ribbings with, with a grain of salt. So thank you for doing that. But the point is, all right, thanks for taking that picture down. <laughs> the point the point is, is that the friends that we choose tend to depend on particular qualities that we look for and that we value in people, uh, that, and we surround those, ourselves with those types of people, right? If we're going to be best friends with somebody, we want them to have the same, uh, the same like, morals as us, the same ethics as us, the same kind of views on a lot of things. And for that very reason, it, that's, that's why it hurts so much when our friends let us down in one of those key areas, right? It's like, man, I thought we were on the same page here, and, and you went against that. That hurts me so bad. And, and we, we all run into those. It's, it's the risk that we take when we enter into a relationship with somebody. Right? They let us down, not because they're trying to hurt us necessarily, but because we're all human. We're fallible. We make mistakes. 
But there is one person, you know where I'm going with this, there is one person that, that matches all those qualities that we're looking for, right? Has the same moral compass, all that stuff, and isn't going to let us down. And we know who that is, that's God. God is that one person. And one of the best parts about having a relationship with God is that when we make that relationship with him a priority, our first priority, we begin to learn from him. We begin to be impacted by the love that he shows us in those relationships and those lessons, and that love can carry into the other relationships and friendships in our lives. They become deeper and more meaningful. In Colossians 1.17, Paul says, he's before all things, and in him all things work together. You know, in other words, if, if God is part of our relationships, right, if we make that relationship a priority, it's, it's why when we get married, we make a, a, a commitment to each other, but also to God. We involve him in that relationship so that he helps us bind together and stick together. If God's part of our relationships, our relationships will succeed. He's going to hold them together. But if we don't, we try to do it on our own. Inevitably, we're going to grow apart and his relationships are going to fall apart. That's what God can do in our relationships, hold us together. We don't want our friendships to begin to fall apart because God's not part of that. And I thought, you know, that we, we want to have this conversation about having a friendship with God. And that conversation isn't always the easiest to have because if you look throughout the Bible of that man's relationship with God, it's kind of been up and down. It's been a little bit dicey. Right? Our relationship with God has kind of changed over the years because of our, the way we've interacted with him. So I thought it would be helpful to go through the Bible and look at some of the relational transitions that have happened between us and our creator and what those mean for us today in 2018 as we try to have this relationship with God and have this relationship with others. And in doing so, by the end of today, my hope is that you'll see that God created us to live in relationship, to have a friendship with him. God created us to live in relationship and have a friendship with him. So I figure we start very beginning, Adam and Eve, Genesis 1 and 2, right? We all know this story, and this is a perfect picture of what it is like to walk, just walk in communion with God, right? God created the world, created the universe, and then he created Adam. And Adam is walking in Eden with God, like side by side, having conversations with him. He feels comfortable having these tough conversations with God, so much so that you know, at a certain point, he says, God, it's really great hanging out with you, but I'm a little bit lonely. I could use a companion to tell me when to do the dishes. Wait for it. There it is. Okay. <laughs> I could use a companion. And, and, and then Eve enters into the equation, right? And they, God sets them up perfectly, right? He gives them the best possible circumstance. They're literally walking in paradise, right? And they can talk to God. They can walk with God. They can hang out with God. It's what God intended for us. But we all know how this, how this ends, right? We get to Genesis, we get to Genesis 3, and, you know, every time I read it, I turn the page, and it's like, don't do it, don't do it, <laughs> don't do it. But the serpent comes, tempts Eve, they eat the, free, the fruit, like the one rule that they had, don't eat from the, knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They eat the fruit, and sin enters the world, right? The moment that Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they changed the course of history when it comes to how we interact with God. And you can immediately see their relationship begin to break down, right? God confronts them, Adam, Eve, where are you? We're hiding, right? Why are you hiding? Because we were naked. How'd you know you're naked? Oh, we ate the fruit. But Adam begins to immediately point fingers, right? 
He's pointing them in every direction. He says, you know, it was this, it was this woman. She made me do it. And then when that doesn't work, you know, it wasn't just a woman. It was the woman that you put here, God. So we're pointing fingers. We're blaming each other. The relationship between God and Adam and Eve is breaking down right in front of our eyes. And that's when the course of history changed when it, came to, when it comes to how we interact with God. Because Adam and Eve's initial relationship with the God is a picture of what God intended for us. He wanted to be able to interact with us on that level, to walk with us, to talk to us, to share in relationship with us, share our life experiences. But something went wrong. Sin entered the, the world and ruined the ideal, ruined what God had planned, drove a wedge between us and God. And Adam and Eve believed the lie that, that Satan had given them, that they were above God. They broke the friendship they severed the relationship and changed everything between God and people. And this is the place where for the very first time in the history of, of man, our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates us from God and severs our relationship with him. So everything was great, everything is perfect, something goes wrong, and that something is sin. And in regards to how Adam and Eve began to interact with God and how man begins to interact with God, I kind of equate it to, like, have you ever had, like, a really bad argument with a close friend? Like, a really bad argument, and you get to the place of, like, I don't want this relationship to end, but I don't know how to make it go forward, right? And then when you're in the same room with that person, it feels a little bit awkward. And, like, this isn't the last time that Adam and Eve interact with God, but as they do in the Bible, it just isn't the same. It doesn't have the same closeness. It doesn't have the same relational, uh, relational aspect to it. And it's going to change the way people interact with God going forward. And if you need proof, read the Old Testament. Count how many people are actually referred to as friends of God in the Old Testament. Right? In most instances in the Old Testament, God's interaction with man involves more fear and doubt uh, than, than, than we would ever perceive an actual friendship to have. You know, a couple of example, examples. Abraham, he's actually in, in uh, Genesis 15, 6. He is called a friend of God. Those words are actually used, friend of God. But he struggles with trusting God and the, the calling that God puts on his life. You know, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have a son that this nation's going to be born out of. And he goes so far in his distrust of God that he ends up having a son with his wife's servant because he doesn't believe that God can allow Sarah to have a baby at her advanced age. Struggles with trusting God, who's supposed to be his friend. Exodus 33, 11, we're told that God would speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. But when God calls him to speak out against Pharaoh, speak out against Egypt, and free his people, he said, I don't think you have the right guy. <laughs> he doesn't trust that God can do what he tells him he's going to. David, described as a man after God's own heart. Most part, it seems like they were friends. God did a lot of great things through David, but there's instance after instance of David sinning against his friend. Right, so once Adam and Eve severed this relationship with God, he began to become very selective with the people that he refers to as his friends. And to Old Testament believers, the idea of being friends with God was more unbelievable than me telling Derek, you can be best friends with Superman, right? And he would be all in for that. It would be so cool, but it ain't going to happen, right? The truth is, after Adam and Eve's relationship with God went south, most people didn't have a personal relationship with God. Right? God began to set up these laws for people to follow. And eventually there's this system set up where only one person, a high priest, 
could have a direct access to God. Right? In the temple in the Old Testament, there's this room called the Holy of Holies, and it's where the presence of God was, and it's separated by this big curtain, right? This big veil. It's a big purple veil. Think of it almost like a stage curtain. It's big, thick, heavy, like indestructible, and it separated everyone else from the presence of God. You couldn't have direct access to it. And the high priest would go in there uh, from time to time and, and offer a sacrifice. And the whole point of it was just to get people right with God. Right? He'd offer these sacrifices and say, God, we need to make atonement. We need the nation of Israel to be right with you, to be okay with you. Not to have relationship with you, mind you, but to be okay with you. And this isn't a friendship that we would want from anyone, right? Nobody goes into a relationship with a goal of just like, I need to be okay with you. I need to be able to, to, to stand you, basically. I need you to be able to stand me. You know, have you ever been in a relationship where uh, your goal is, like, not to tick the other person off too much so you can just be in the same room together? You kind of walk on eggshells around each other to make sure that, you know, you're still in good standing. You're still okay with each other. You can kind of coexist. It's not the healthiest of relationships, and it's not anything that any of us would willingly sign up for. But it is kind of where God's relationship with man got to after Adam and Eve once these laws were established, and went, once we tried to you know, ensure that all of our sins were kind of accounted for and we could check off the box when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and say, they're atoned for, we're good, we get to this place of just trying to follow laws, trying to do the things that God tells us to do. We try to do more good than bad, and we need this assistance from a high priest to go into the Holy of Holies and tell God, we're sorry, basically, now, can we just be okay for a little while now? And that's how we get off track, how man messed up our relationship with God, allowed sin to enter the world, and then we tried to make it things right by following the laws of God. But that type of relationship wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for man. It, sure, it surely was not enough for God. God desired more. He wanted more than just this atonement situation and just these laws that were set up. He wanted relationship. He wanted intimacy, and that's why he sent Jesus. Jesus changed everything. His life, right? He walked on earth with sinners. He walked on earth and he preached this radical message of loving God and loving people. Loving a God that most of these people had never experienced an actual, true, intimate relationship with and then using that love to love other people. That's what Jesus preached. And then his death and resurrection changed everything because he made it possible for us to live in a restored friendship with God. Jesus did that. We can't do it. Jesus had to do it. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That's Romans 5, 10 through 11. Jesus makes us friends with God. Man tried to do it by following laws. They couldn't. What went wrong? Sin entered the world. How do we fix it? We can't. Jesus has to. And remember that veil, right? The one that separated people from the holies of Hol holy of holies, separated people from the presence of God. When Jesus was crucified, some of you know this, an awesome thing happened, right? There's an earthquake that happens, and that veil that can't be torn by any man, just one person, that thing is ripped supernaturally in half. 
right? What a symbol. This symbol of like, okay, the veil's torn. You can have access to me. You can have relationship with me. You can have intimacy with me now. This is what I intended, and this is how we're going to be going forward. It's a symbol of what Jesus' death did. It made it possible for us to be back in communion, in relationship, and to have friendship with God. Jesus' death and resurrection showed us that God wanted a friendship with us so badly that he was willing to say, like, you're not, you're not going to be able to do this, so I'm going to take responsibility for it. I'm going to do it for you. In other words, I know you can't bring yourselves back into a relationship with me. You can't buy a friendship with God. You can't earn a friendship with God. None of us are good enough to deserve a friendship with God. But the message of Romans 5 10 from Paul is that even though mankind was messed up because of sin, even though sin had entered the world and separated us from God, without Jesus, our sin makes us enemies of God. But Jesus is going to come in, flip the script, and save us through his death and resurrection, making it possible for us to know him. Not just know about him, not just know how to, to follow the laws that he gave us, but to know him to know what it means to be loved by him and to be friends with him. That's what Jesus did for us. Paul's telling us that there is a reconciliation between us and God, a reconciliation that was initiated by Jesus' death and resurrection. And I was reading some commentaries on this verse. The New American Commentary has this to say about reconciliation. Jesus is the one who made our reconciliation with God possible. At the heart of God's redemptive plan stands one solitary figure, Jesus Christ, his son, our savior. Through his death, he has made those who believe to receive forgiveness for their sins and enter into an eternal relationship of joy with God the Father. And there is joy in our relationship. I don't know how you can say that you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that you believe that Jesus raised from the dead so that we could have a relationship. How can you say that? How can you say you believe that without finding joy in that, that the creator of the universe wants relationship with you? You know, I'm going to walk this back one more time for you because I think it's so crucial, so important to know kind of where we came from and how we got here. Adam and Eve's relationship, that's ideal. That's what God wanted from us. Something happened, right? Something happened that broke that. Sin entered the world. Adam and Eve sinned for the first time. Sin entered the world, separated it from us. We tried to fix it by following God's laws. We couldn't. We couldn't. It wasn't enough. God sent Jesus. He died and was resurrected. And now we have access to God. Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. The Holy Spirit, when we accept Christ as our Savior, lives inside us, guides us, leads us. We have access to God whenever we want it. We have the ability to have a relationship with God. Jesus fixes it. Listen to Paul in Romans 5. Don't take my word for it. Listen to Paul. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death. Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Such a great, powerful message, an awesome message. Think about how radical it is that 
that the, the creator of the universe reaches out to each and every one of us and says, I died for you. I died for you so that I could have a relationship with you. I want you as an eternal friend. That's what he did. That's what he did on the cross. And we're kicking off this series with our series verse, delivering a message that we are to love God and love people. Love God with all of our heart, our soul, and mind, and also love our neighbors as ourselves. And when I read that, when I pray about that, when I think about that, I can't help but to think that the relationship that I have with God, the relationship that I have with God that's only possible because of what Jesus did for me, has to have some sort of implication on the relationships that I have with other people, right? It can't just be like I have a relationship with God. It has to have some bearing on the people that I interact with on a daily basis. How can I allow allow God's love that he's shown me, how can I allow that to impact my relationship with others? God's taught me lessons about sacrifice, about love, about selflessness, How can those lessons infect our other relationships? How can that happen? You know, I started thinking, like, what would our marriages look like if we loved like Jesus loves? What would our relationships with our friends look like if we sacrificed for them? Stick with me on this one. What would our coworkers think if we served them with the selflessness of Christ? Probably look at you like you're crazy. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? What is this? I don't understand. But this is the transition that that we have to allow God to make in our hearts in the way that we view relationships, right? Again, it's something we can't do on our own. God has to do the work. He has to change our hearts. We just have to be willing to receive it, right? We have this tendency, and most times it's not purposeful, but we have this tendency to view relationships in the sense of, like, what can I get out of it, right? How does this relationship benefit me? And when compared to the lessons that we've learned from Jesus, when he died on the cross and as he's walked through life with us, wanted a relationship with us, who pursued us in spite of our sin. When we compare those two things, they, they kind of counter each other. We have to allow God to make that change in our hearts, right? To go from how can I view this relationship to something that I can get out of, to how can I view this relationship as a way that I can show this person Jesus, and if you're kind of having trouble understanding that, think, think about it this way. When we value our relationships only because we can gain personally, what we do is we make the people in our lives, we see them as kind of like our servants, right? We begin to look at them and say, like, you're my servant because I only, I only keep you around because you can do something for me. It's not a healthy place to be. It's not a good way to interact with people. Again, most times you don't think about it, like you're not maliciously doing it, but it, It's just how kind of you you do things when when you're in that mindset. But when we're able to allow Jesus to change our hearts to be aligned with his and seek to add value and to love others, he's able to make the same transition in our hearts as the one that he made when he died on the cross. He says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I call you my friends. Instead, I call you my friends. Remember, there was this whole system set up of laws and sacrifices to God. It was people working for God, trying to please him. Now he's saying, I took care of the work for you. You are my friends. You're no longer my servants. You're my friends. And this isn't an easy transition to make. Again, this is something that I have to guard against in my life. 
about a year and a half or so ago, I was interviewing for the job that I have now at, at my full-time job. And uh, in preparation for that, I kind of like drew out this like vision statement. I had like an action plan that I was going to follow over the course of the next year. And um, like six months into the job, I was kind of reviewing it and checking off things that I had accomplished. And God kind of tapped me on the shoulder and was like, Sean, like you, you did all this and you've benefited a lot from it. But where on this action plan did you invest in people? Right? Where on this action plan did you show people me? Did you show my love to people? And it was very like convicting. Like I didn't set out to say, like, yeah, I'm just going to write this action plan so that I can benefit and look up to my bosses. Right? I had an action plan just to get things done. But what I overlooked was I didn't allow Jesus to impact those relationships. And so without thinking about it, I was viewing the people that kind of work for me as as almost like servants. Like, what can I get out of them rather than what can I put into them? How much love can I show them? How much of Jesus can I show them in my interactions with them? And again, it's not an easy transition to make. It's counter to what we've seen in our culture. A lot of times it's counter to what our jobs (laughs) require of us. It goes against kind of what we're being asked to do. And oftentimes we, we do it because we benefit from it. But we have to make this transaction, and in order to do that, we have to allow Jesus to do that work in our hearts. We can't do it. Again, Jesus has to do it. It's not easy, but it's what Jesus calls us to. And we feel like it's, it's hard to be in a relationship because we've been wrong, right? Maybe some scenarios of, of excuses for doing this because we've been wrong. We have to ask Jesus to show how to love unconditionally, right? Have that conversation with him. And we feel like our friends don't value us enough. Right? Ask Jesus show you, to show you the, how to be humble and to seek to add value to others. When relationships are just hard, right? We all get to that place. Like, this is work, right? It's easier just to be a loner. It's easier just to be by myself. We have to ask God to show you the same perseverance and love that he showed in pursuing us. These are the types of prayers that God uses to help us get to a place where we stop viewing people as our servants and, and viewing our relationship as, as what we, from, from the standpoint of what can I get out of them to, to a place where we can emulate his desire for a relationship with us in our relationships with other people. Because God loves us in a way that we're not used to. Right? We don't get the type of love from anybody but God. So when we make the decision to follow God and experience that for the first time, it's kind of like, wow, this is, this is kind of crazy. We're not used to it. It's a way that doesn't make sense when we think about our sins, when we think about what Jesus did for us. The fact that God would view us as his friends, his deep, close, personal, intimate friends. That's the relationship God wants from us. He's extending this invitation to you, right, to be in relationship with him. And today, you know, maybe you're in a place of, like, I've never accepted that invitation before. I don't necessarily know what that means, but I'm willing to check it out. Or maybe you have had that before, and you're kind of in one of those, you know, down moments of the up and down kind of relationship with God. This could be a day you say, like, I'm recommitting to that. And one of the ways that Jesus gave us to remember him and to remember the relationship that he wants from us is communion. We have the communion table set up. Um, you know, one definition of the word communion is sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. Sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. And when I read that definition, it sounds an awful lot to me like friendship. Right? That's what this is a symbol. It's our friendship with God. 
communion service can, can come up here, but, but Jesus, at the last supper, right, at the table with his disciples, his 11, Judas had left, but his 11 closest friends, right, I can't help but to imagine that he was thinking that what he was about to do on the cross would open it up for millions, billions of people to sit at the table with him, right? What he did on the cross opened up the ability, broke down that barrier of sin and said, anybody that accepts me can sit at this communion table with me and be my friend. That's what this was all about, the ability to share a friendship with our Savior, with our Savior. So in a minute, the, the, the worship team is going to play, and you know, take a minute to just kind of think about that. Come up, get, get the elements, take them back to your seat. We'll take communion together. But take a minute just to think about, you know, this is a symbol of, of something bigger than any of us, something bigger than what we can even perceive. Take a minute to think about Jesus did this so that I could have fellowship with him, so that I could be in communion with him, so that I could be his friend. Think about the sacrifice that he made for you. Think about how that sacrifice can impact your relationship with those around you. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you. You want a relationship from us, God, with us. There's no way that we can force a relationship with you. There's no way we can be good enough to have a relationship with you, God. Sin entered the world, put a barrier between us and you. As hard as we try, God, we can't earn salvation. We can't earn your love. Jesus, you fixed everything. You fixed everything in you died on the cross for us, and he rose from the dead, he broke that barrier down and said, I want to be your friend. Thank you for wanting to share your communion table with us, to be our friend. These next few moments, Lord, please make your love, your desire to be our friend apparent among us. In Jesus' name.